First Peter chapter number three. If you have your Bibles, go to First Peter chapter three. And uh, we're looking at verses number 13 through 17 this morning, 1 Peter 3, 13 through 17. And uh, sermon title today is, When Wronged, Do Right. When Wronged, Do Right. And uh, God help us uh, as we have uh, uh, resuming our walk through Peter. <clears throat> you know, uh, Peter is writing to believers, and, and although we know that uh, uh, we will live for all eternity... And, uh, and there's an eternal perspective to life. Unfortunately, a lot of times we forfeit that eternal perspective for the temporary. And Peter, in writing to the church, wants them to understand that, listen, there's something bigger than just the moment that you're living in. There's something a lot bigger that you are a part of, something that God wants to do, something significant in you and through you that will impact all of eternity. And don't forget that. Don't forfeit the eternal impact that you have the opportunity for, for the temporary. And, and that's where his writing's coming from. We've all been wronged. Uh, uh, we've all been wronged, and I'll tell you something, we've all wronged. <laughs> and so God help me uh, uh, to, to, when wronged, when wronged, to do right, when wronged, uh, to do right along the way. Uh, we have a, a, a natural tendency that oftentimes we revert back to when we get wronged. Uh, in other words, when we get wronged, we get ticked off. And, uh, and, and, and we, like to, we like to give them what they deserve. And then, and then not only do we give them what they deserve, then we justify what we did uh, because of their actions. And, uh, and God, help us not to live on such a base uh, uh, level of living. Help us not to live natural lives, but help us to live supernatural lives. It's impossible to live the Christian life. It is impossible to live it naturally. Uh, naturally, you know, and, and in fact, Jesus talked about this, and he talked about the levels on which we live our life, uh, uh, the way that we live our life. In other words, there's a, there's a sorry, sorry, super sorry level. I don't know what to call it, but it's super sorry level. And that is when people try to do good and you respond with bad. Uh, that's about as sorry as it gets. I don't want to do that, but uh, God help us. Uh, uh, so so, so that's, a, that's a super sorry level. Then we have just the natural level. The natural level, and Jesus talked about this. Hey, if people are nice and loving to you, pretty easy to be nice and loving back. So that's natural. Even a lost person can do that. He said, but you're my children, and I'm empowering you by my Holy Spirit. And I'm empowering you such that when you are wronged, I want you to do right. And you can't do that naturally. That's supernatural living. And we all have struggles. Peter knows, Peter knows the struggle. When you look at Peter's life, it's interesting. Uh, scripture always tells the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, uh, when you're looking at Peter's life, you can look at Peter's life and see where he had moments of failure. Uh, uh, in other words, when you're looking at Peter's life, for example, we, we see Peter the cutter. I call him Peter the cutter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was with Jesus Christ and, 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 he, and, and, and they came uh, uh, for Jesus Christ, and Peter took out his sword and cut the dude's ear off. Remember that? Peter the cutter. And Jesus said, hey, that's not my kingdom. That's not how we work. In fact, if I wanted to, I'd call legions of angels to come. But that's not how it works, Peter. Put it back. Put it away. It's not about fighting with a sword. Not that kind of sword. And so, and so we have Peter the cutter. You know what we also have in, in Scripture when you're looking at Peter? We, uh, Peter the, the coward. Peter the coward. And, and where's Peter? Peter the coward was when, you know, you are one of the followers of Jesus Christ. He said, no way. Three times. Remember the story? 
Uh, we see Peter the coward. When confronted, when confronted, he cowered. We, 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 we see Peter the compromiser. If you look through Scripture and over in the book of Galatians and what was taking place, and, and there was a confrontation that's recorded in the book of Galatians between Peter and Paul. You remember the confrontation? Uh, Paul had heard that, hey, Peter was, Peter was having some fellowship with the Gentiles, but when the people of the circumcision came around, Peter stopped hanging with the Gentiles because he was intimidated and he was scared. And, and, and so he compromised. And so we see Peter the compromiser. But then at the same time, uh, in his journey, what we also see is, is Peter, the one who was very confident in the goodness of his God. And in spite of his circumstance, in Acts, if you look in the book of Acts, chapter number 12, and in verse number 6, the Bible says it like this, just describing him. Acts chapter 12, in verse number 6, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. But notice Peter, what he was doing, Peter was sleeping and the church was praying for him. Ultimately, Peter, ultimately, Peter was crucified upside down on a cross. But when you look at his life, you see one that had some struggles along the way. And we do have some struggles along the way. But aren't you thankful that God's a God of mercy and grace, a God of second chances? God, help me, help me to respond when wrong to do right. So he's writing the letter. Remember this, he's writing the letter. First Peter's being written to uh, recipients. Specific recipients are people that are actually hiding in the hills, running for their lives. They've lost their livelihood. Some of them have lost loved ones uh, simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's writing to them and he's saying, hey, listen, listen, there's an eternal perspective that you have to live by. Oh, you know, and, and, and you can flee, but at the end of the day, God wants to use you. And he wants to use you in the life of those who are persecuting you. When wrong, do right. God, help me to live how you want me to live. First Peter chapter number three, continuing in this letter. He says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better, it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. When wrong, do right. How do you do it? Number one, be zealous for what is good. Be zealous for what is good. Peter asked a question really for consideration. He said, who, who is there? Who is there that's gonna, consider the one that's gonna harm you for doing good. Consider the one that's intimidating you. Consider the one that, that your life is repulsive to because you're a follower of Jesus Christ and they simply want you to compromise. Consider who they are. And, and, and when you begin to consider who they are and think about what they're doing and what they're about, first of all, it's almost implying that, listen, it's not going to happen very often. A lot of times we really believe that, man, somebody's just going to chew me up and spit me out. And at the end of the day, you just got to be careful and not be overwhelmed by intimidation. I mean, I, I think about even, even the Bible says the devil is, is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
He's, he, he, he's, he's, pra- he's, he's praying on people. But, but it's interesting. It says he's a roaring lion. Why? Because he's intimidating. But Jesus kicked his teeth out. <laughs> he can't bite me. Not unless Jesus allows it and permits it. And it would be for his glory in that event. Nonetheless, so we have to be zealous for doing good. Be zealous for doing good. And when you're considering these guys, they're enemies of Jesus Christ. They're enemies of Jesus Christ. Anytime someone's trying to intimidate you and, and, and cause you to compromise, they are enemies of Jesus Christ. And so, so the question that you've got to ask yourself is simply this. In the moment that I am being uh, asked to compromise my faith, in that moment you have to ask this question. Would I rather live for an enemy of Jesus Christ or would I rather live for Jesus Would I rather live for a sinner or would I rather live for a savior? Because either way, listen, there are consequences. Either way, there are consequences. Consider this this one over here. Number two, when you're talking about considering them, I would say they're limited in the extent to which they can harm you. They're, they're, They're limited to the extent to which they can harm you. Over in Luke, we've been walking through Luke in D groups, and in Luke chapter 12, verses four and five, the Bible says this, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that, have no more that they can do. But I will... Warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Fear God. So to be zealous for what is good. What do you mean to be zealous? An intense enthusiasm. An intense enthusiasm for what's good. In other words, man, even if it costs me my life, I want to do good. Whatever the cost, I'm going to do good. That's what a zealot is. A zealot is one that says, I'm passionate and I'm devoted to doing this cause. And what Peter is saying, the cause needs to be for the follower of Jesus Christ is to be zealous for good, no matter who it is that we're talking about, no matter who it is that we're engaged with. Always make sure that I've got a right response. And the question would be, what's the right response? What is the right response? And that's difficult sometimes. But the Bible says it like this. Romans chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. Romans chapter 12, verses number 18 uh, through 21. And the Bible says it like this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. In other words, hey, listen, if possible means that there are some that's just impossible. You ever met one of those? Say, man, I'm looking at them. <laughs> If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God, help me. To do right when wrong. You know, sometimes we do suffer harm when we're right. But sometimes we suffer harm because we're wrong. God help me. God help me. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 21, over in Proverbs 21 and 23, uh, the Bible says it like this. Do we have that? Good. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from troubles. In other words, he's just simply saying sometimes, sometimes we don't know when to shut up. Sometimes, sometimes we don't show discretion with our words and we just respond only to wish later that I hadn't said what I just said. 
but you can't pull it back. God help us. God help us. Be zealous for what's right. To be zealous for what is right. Make a decision. Make a decision. I'm committed to doing right no matter what. And then number two, sanctify the Lord. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Verse number 15, the Bible says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And then it goes on from there. And, uh, and, and sanctify is, is not an option, by the way. It's an imperative. In other words, you must sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he must be sanctified. Most of the time when we talk about sanctification, we talk about uh, ourselves. You know, we, we say, man, we've been saved. Uh, and when I got saved, he set me apart uh, uh, for himself. He, he, he brought me out of my sin and into his kingdom and has set me apart. Sanctification in this process of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. But yet here he's saying, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. In other words, what it's saying is saying this, every single heart has a throne. Your heart has a throne. And the question is, who is seated on the throne of your heart? And he's saying, make sure, make sure that Jesus Christ is seated on the throne of your heart. You say, well, I'm saved. Well, yeah, that's awesome, incredible. But do you know that even a saved person can dethrone Christ at times in their life? When their flesh overwhelms them and they make a decision based on temporary rather than eternal, God help us. We've all struggled with that. He's saying, make sure you sanctify Christ as Lord. He's the one that I'm living for and not me. And, and that's really where the difference comes in our response and our reactions to others' actions. It all depends on who's seated on the throne. Who are you living for? And a lot of times what we're doing is we're living for ourselves. I want to protect myself. I want to stand up for me. Who is there to going to stand up for me? Well, man, he's saying, hey, Jesus will take care of you. And you know what? He'll not only take care of you, he'll take care of them too. If you give him room. God help us to sanctify Christ as Lord. It's a daily decision. Romans 10, 9. When you're talking about salvation, even the moment of salvation, listen. Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is... Just making sure you had that answer. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And a lot of times what we do is we have a Savior and not a Lord. Hey, listen, you, 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 you can't have the Jesus that you just want him to be. You got to take Jesus for who he is. He's either Lord or he's not. In fact, I would, I would even go so far as to say theology does matter because without good theology, you don't know the right Jesus. God, help us to understand who Jesus is. Jesus of the word of God says, hey, I'm king of kings. I'm Lord of lords. I want to be Lord in your life. I want to sit on the throne room of your heart and to trust him with that. When a person gets saved, that's an acknowledgement in their life that, man, I need Jesus Christ to be on the throne of my heart. Sanctify him as Lord of your heart. God, help me in that process. What does it look like, practically speaking? It means day by day. Wherever you lead me, I'll go. I will be who you want me to be. I will say who you want me to say today. Period. 
Uh, I mean, we sing songs about that. Wherever he leads, I'll go. You know, I mean, wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ. Or in, or in this service, it wouldn't be that song. It'd be a, wherever you lead me. I, I get them messed up whenever I'm trying to do it again. <laughs> They're all good. They're all good. But just bottom line, songs of commitment, we do that. Hey, wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. That is sanctifying Christ as Lord. And he says, make sure you're doing it every day. Make sure he's the one you're living for. Make sure he's the one that's seated on the throne room of your heart. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. The Bible says it like this over in Luke 6 and verse number 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? You know what he's saying? When Jesus Christ is sanctified as Lord in your life, why, why, why is it sanctifying him as Lord? Because he wants to use you, and he wants to use me. It's not just about, it's not just about calling him Lord, but it's about understanding and recognizing that he has plans and purposes that are bigger than me. And when he is sanctified as Lord in my life, you know what happens to me? I begin to bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. I begin to bear fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, uh, you, know, you know, he says, I want you to bear fruit. Why? Because I want to use you in the lives of those around you. And sometimes you'll never know, never know the lives that you impact and touch for all of eternity. But he says, hey, I want to use you along the way. And the problem that we struggle with, with sanctifying Lord in our hearts and in our lives is sometimes we want to be Lord. We want to be judge. We want to make sure they get what they deserve. Y'all struggle with that? I call it the Jonah complex, the Jonah complex. You know Jonah, in the Old Testament, Jonah, the story of Jonah, uh, God said, hey, Jonah, I want you to go over to Nineveh and I want, I want you to preach to Nineveh. And you know what Jonah, you know what was the problem with Jonah? You know what the problem was? Jonah knew the Ninevites. And you know what, at the end of the day, what his problem was? The Ninevites don't deserve your grace. They don't deserve to be loved. They don't deserve mercy. Man, they just need to be stomped out. I don't care if they perish. And that was his attitude. And we look at him and say, man, how dare he? How dare we? How dare we? In a moment to say, I've got to be the judge and executioner. Just for a moment. And forget that for all eternity, God might want to use me. He might want to use my suffering at their hands for his glory for all eternity. But I forfeited it. Why? So that I could engage in actions that if I'm a believer, I'll regret. I will. When you look at the book of Acts and the first Christian martyr, Stephen, remember Stephen? Stephen was martyred. 
He endured great, 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 great suffering. But you know who was in the crowd? Saul. God used his suffering, in part, to reach Saul, who became Paul, who wrote half the New Testament. God, help me sanctify him as Lord in my heart. Aren't you thankful? Hey, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his great love for me and for you. And that while I was still a sinner, what's a sinner? Somebody that deserves hell. Somebody that deserves hell. He demonstrated his great love for me and that while I was still a sinner, he paid the price for me. He laid down his life. He laid down his life. The problem is we don't want to lay down a life. What Peter is saying is, listen, live life with an eternal perspective. It's not just enduring for endurance sake to see how strong you are. But it's saying, hey, God has a purpose in your life. And it's a big purpose to make an eternal impact. And just remember that God wants to use you. When you're talking about salvation and when you're talking about your own salvation, just remember he didn't reward you because you were righteous. When you got saved, it wasn't because of how good you were. Even how bad I was, he still saved me. It's a gift for the guilty, not a reward for the righteous. Salvation. And what he's saying here is just saying, hey, number one, make sure you're zealous for what is good. Number two, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Make sure you're sanctifying him, setting him up as the one who I am living for. It's more than a song. It's a life. God help me. Be ready to make a defense. Number three, be ready to make a defense. Why? Because others are going to watch you. The Bible says in verse number 15, continuing on, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and with reverence. And so be ready to make a defense. You know, Jesus Christ, when he was speaking, said it like this. In Matthew chapter number five, if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, five, six, and seven of the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus Christ, he said, he said, a city that is set on a hill, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. What's he saying? He's saying others will look at you. Others are going to watch you. He says they're going to watch you. And you know what happens when they're watching you? It's easy. Like I said, it's easy to love when I'm loved and I don't really stand out a whole lot. But what do others see when I'm wronged? Do they see a gentle spirit? Do they see mercy? Do they see grace? Do they see peace? Self-control? Do they see Jesus? Or do they see a man that's been overwhelmed and overcome by flesh? What do they see when they see me? Be ready to make a defense. You know what? If I'm living for Jesus Christ, they will see a difference and be wondering and, and they'll make statements. They'll make statements. You ever had somebody say, man, you know, you're just different. You're just different. And sometimes it goes further, you know. But you just, you're just different. You know, don't say, wow, I'm glad you noticed how great I am. <laughs> that's, that's, an, that's an opportunity. Peter says expect those things to happen. If your life is different, if your life is different, expect them to happen. And when they do happen, seize the moment. Seize the moment. Give a defense, an apology. Not, and, and, 
By the way, apologetics is not saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> what is an apologetic in, in, in Christianity? It's being able to use the Bible to tell why you believe what you believe. It's being able to use the Bible to say, hey, here's why I am a Christian. Uh, here's why I live and behave and act the way that I live and behave and act. It's a, it's a Christian apologetic. It's a defense of the gospel. It's a defense of my life. And Peter says, make sure you give a word in that moment. Give a word in that moment. God, help me to give a word. And, and, and it's not just what we say, but even how we say it. You see what he says there? He says, make sure you give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. And he says, that's what to say. But then he says, here's how you say it. With gentleness and reverence. With gentleness and reverence. In other words, don't look at that opportunity to beat him with a billy club because the Bible wasn't intended to be a billy club. He says, make sure you're doing it with gentleness and reverence. How you treat people, how you talk to people. Why? Because he knows that we struggle with those things. You ever got your feelings hurt? I mean, how you talk. <laughs> God help me. Colossians 4, the Bible says it like this. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 6. Colossians 4 and verse 6. Let your speech always, always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. God, help me to be gracious in my speech and not beat them up with my words. Number four, keep a clear conscience. Keep a clear conscience. Verse number 16. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you were slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Keep a good conscience and awareness of wrongdoing. An awareness of wrongdoing. And be careful when you're talking about your conscience. Be careful that that in and of itself is not how you determine what's right and wrong. Simply through your conscience. Why is that? Because sometimes our conscience can get messed up. <laughs> I mean, the Bible, the Bible describes a conscience in several different ways. It says, number one, you can have a defiled conscience. You can defile your conscience. Over in Titus chapter number one, verse number 15, you can have a defiled conscience. Uh, number two, you can have a seared conscience. You can sear your conscience. First Timothy chapter four, verses number one and two. And then you can also have an evil conscience. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 22. But your conscience, in other words, the awareness, the awareness of what to do, how to do, to do right, to do right. How do you, how do you keep a clear conscience? How do you keep a good conscience? How do you keep it clear? How do you keep it pure? That's a good question. That's a good question. And, 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 and I would say the simple answer would be this. Make sure you take out the trash daily. Take out the trash daily. You know what happens to us if we let trash linger? It stinks, number one. But you know what else happens if you're not careful? Odors begin to disappear but when somebody else comes around, it still stinks. That's how it is. The, 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 the stinky part, the sinful part. If we're not careful, we let it linger. We let it linger. That's not that big of a deal. And before you know it, your conscience no longer is clear. Your conscience has become seared. It's become calloused. 
Why? Because I've got unrepentant sin. I've got garbage going on in my life that's just stinking it up that others sense as a repulsive, but I don't even recognize it anymore. God help me to keep a good conscience. He says, hey, I want your life to matter for eternity, eternal, that sake, for forever, <laughs> for, for forever. I want your life. I want, I want to use you in the lives of those who love you, but I also want to use you in the lives of those who curse you. When you're wronged, Peter says, when you're wronged, do right. Do right. God help me to do right. Hey, this morning, it, it begins with salvation. A religious person cannot, cannot live the life that Jesus Christ calls us to live. It's impossible. Without the Holy Spirit of God, it is impossible. And this morning, if you've never been saved, if you've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved, then the Holy Spirit of God is missing. Uh, the, the, the power that will enable you to do what he's calling you to do is not there. And so this morning, if you've never called on his name, I would encourage you to call on his name. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, you know what, I've got, I've got people in my life that, man, I, I, I haven't, I haven't loved them like I should love them. God, help me. I want to encourage you this morning, pray. God, help me to show them your love. Help me to show them your love. Help me, again, to do good to those who wish to do bad. Help me in that process.